I am Consciously Curious, a podcast for those that are searching for a career or are cultivating meaning within their own space. We've had anesthesia providers to barbers, dog behaviors to airline pilots, white collar to blue collar, entrepreneurs to passion projects. Life's too short to not produce meaningful work. Join me, Victor Chan, as we deep dive within various industries. I'd love to hear your feedback, so feel free to leave a comment. I hope you find some value within these conversations, but more importantly, I hope it sparks a meaning within your own space. In this episode, Tony Scardino shares his journey to becoming Professor Pizza. From going to Columbia for music business to working alongside his dad in commercial real estate, Tony had many pivots in life before fully realizing his love for pizza. We also talk about his favorite mentors like Scott Manley from Table Donkey and Stick and Tony Gemignani, who is the Michael Jordan of the pizza world. Be on the lookout this late spring, early summer for a pizzeria concept at the Wells Street Market by Tony and Jimmy Banos Jr. You can find him on Instagram as Professor Pizza. Please enjoy my conversation with Tony Scardino. Well, thanks for having me, Victor. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. Um, and so day to day right now, what's going on through your mind? What's in your headspace? I, these days, I'm, I'm really focused on research and development for the new concept that I'm excited to be a part of in Wall Street Market. I, you know, a couple months ago, I was telling people it'd be open by now. That's the nature of uh, yeah. new restaurant openings. There's always, you know, a uh, uh, something that uh, slows up the process, whether it's construction or paperwork or combination of such. So at this point, I'm telling people late spring, early summer. And if I can beat that, fantastic. But uh, it is set to be a New York style by the Slice Pizzeria. Interesting. We're going to be doing what I call the trifecta of New York style pizza. Obviously, everybody recognizes and knows the big, long, triangular slice that would come from a 20 or sometimes even 22, 24-inch pizza. Mm -hmm. And certainly, we're going to be doing those, and that'll be our uh, flagship product. But then we'll also have different styles of pan pizza Mm. kind of build out that menu. So when I speak to the trifecta of New York styles, it is that big, long, nine-inch slice that you'd fold in half and, and eat like that. But there's also grandma style and sicilian style and i think a lot of people are starting to hear about uh sicilian style okay. uh outside of that region anyways new yorkers have been you know uh, accustomed to it for decades did now. you mention detroit style so detroit style is something that uh you know i started at Polly G's Logan Square some years back and it's amazing to see the sort of things Derek has done in that space since then but uh, Detroit style is is one of the styles we'll probably special in here or there Uh, but Sicilian and Grandma are the other two that I feel really make up the slice culture in New York. And how would you describe Grandma style? So if you're I'd start by saying Sicilian is a pan pizza that's usually cooked more times than not in a 12 by 18 inch rectangular kind of black steel pan, not totally unlike uh, um, cast iron, but uh, a little bit thinner. And it's as opposed to a pizza that you might toss in the air that you would open up in flour or semolina. This is actually going to be opened or or stretched or extended in a pan with olive oil. Mm. So with that olive oil in that pan comes almost like a shallow deep fried texture. And 
with grandma, a lot of those stylistic things are almost amplified. So we're, we're working in a smaller pan. It's a, it's a 12 by 12 square pan, uh, usually a little bit more olive oil, much thinner dough weight. So where a Sicilian might be like this, uh, a grandma's going to be like down here. Okay. So, um, definitely fewer ounces of dough in it and has that more deep fried texture to the bottom. There's bite to it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Um, sauce on top more often than not. Okay. And, uh, it's just, it's a really delicious, simple slice that kind of started around the margarita slice and started around, uh, grandmothers or mothers in the Long Island, uh, area of this city, just wanting to put pizza on the dinner table that night and not putting, you know, 24, Not 48 hours yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. of, of, of time into, into considering the dough. Okay. And, you know, um, like we do now so in the pizzeria, we're going to give a dough one, two days, sometimes three days or more of maturation time mm. before we actually use it, right? Um, your grandmother probably was not doing that. She was probably at best making it that morning, cooking it, you know, six or so hours later. Okay. Um, and that can make a great pizza as well. And that's that's really where it came from. And uh, it wasn't until probably a decade or two later mm. that you started to see it pop up in pizzerias throughout uh, Long Island. And then, you know, the rest of the boroughs kind of followed suit after that. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so we'll focus on those. But you brought up Detroit, you know, that's – that's a Detroit, or that's rather a Sicilian-style pizza through the eyes or the lens of Sicilians that immigrated to Detroit, mm. you know? And what's fun about that style of pizza is, is really the story behind the pan. It it didn't start with a food-safe pan. It started with the Detroit auto industry, and these pans were pans that were used to catch grease underneath the car what? as they were working on it. <laughs> And they say, you know what, this is a good material here. It's it's probably not going to have too much give in an oven at high temps. Um, why don't we clean them out, grease them up? Nowadays, a lot of people are using uh, fats like Crisco to really hold that cheese uh, exterior to the crust. Sometimes it's known as Frico or fried cheese. Mm. Um, and it really takes on almost a Cheez-It type flavor. And that really just, it started with them loading up their dough in a pan, then toppings, then cheese to the very oops sorry that- cheese to the very edge. Oh. And uh, and then sauce after that. And that cheese to the very edge it makes it makes the contact with the pan. And it slowly dehydrates as it renders out the grease. And what's less left is fried cheese. And so it's chiseled out of the pan with a, a spatula and it just creates a, a texture and a flavor totally unique. Is that what makes the crust um, like Pequod's crust? Exactly that. So Pequod's, which was started uh, by Burt Katz, who also has Burt's Place, obviously. He started Gulliver's as well. All those pro- all those products are a Chicago um, cast iron product. Mm. And much like a Detroit-style pizza, this hallmark effect of uh, Chicago cast iron pizza is that Frico Edge. Okay. So yeah, definitely, really cool. definitely similar. I remember you saying that's one of your favorite places is, to check out is. throughout the city. Yeah, it's great. Um, they do a great job. And so, what's why make the decision to leave Dobros? Did you not have an, enough creative expression? Uh, you know, 
I've got nothing but great things to say about Dobros. I'm I'm super proud of what I did there in the past 20 months, uh, almost two years now. Um, and I think I'll always have some sort of relationship with, if not specifically Dobros, uh, the organization behind it, Organic Life, and and specifically Jonas Falk and uh, Justin Rolls. You know, they've both been mentors to me and given me immense opportunity and uh, room to do a lot of creative things. But, you know, I'm excited for a new chapter. Mm. Um, You know, I came into Dobro's as a pizzeria that had already been around for, you know, going on at that point four years, I believe. And so when you're walking into a place that already has systems and operations, already has stylistically a way that they go about doing things, already has an audience that they're out to please. You know, if you've never been to Dobro's, this is a spot that, of course, is open for lunch, but also weeknights 12 into Thursday 2 a.m., Friday and Saturday, 4 a.m. So with that comes a specific clientele. Uh, Obviously, we do a, you know, great amount of business Mm. at uh, the late night hour. And that that kind of drives the pizza case to to look and act different ways that it wouldn't normally if you were just open for daytime hours or you were a place that closed at 9 or 10 p.m., right? Uh, So... It was a phenomenal experience for me. Like I said, I'm sure I'll be involved in that organization in one capacity or another uh, for some time to come um, or at least continue to, you know, uh, nurture those relationships. But this new opportunity is something for me to do something really chef focused. Um, I have a partner in this project that I'm I'm very humbled to uh, be working with, which is Jimmy Banos, Jr., Mm. the chef and proprietor of the Purple Pig. Mm. He's also now uh, already in Wells Street uh, Market with a concept called Piggy Smalls, Mm. uh, which is going to be going under a pretty unique and and special transformation, but I'll allow him to talk more about that uh, in his own time. And he's, he's in the newly opened... Timeout market with Purple yeah, Pig Saloon Maria. Yeah. So he's doing super, super, you know, I don't know what the haute couture I, I, word would be for the culinary industry. I don't but know how they do haute it. cuisine yeah. style sandwiches um, with a lot of in house products from the porchetta to, uh, I think in some cases, the bread and, and so on and so forth. So it's, it's, it's really my first opportunity to work with somebody that is. While doing very well in business, I would say food first, ingredients first, business second, Mm. or business follows, rather. Um, And as a chef, as a pizza maker, as a pizzaiolo, as we call ourselves, um, that's exciting for me. Yeah. So that was a hard opportunity to to turn down. And so I'm excited with what we're going to be doing in this new space. I'm excited to be exploring food halls. Mm-hmm. as um you know a new form of commerce and and just getting my product out there to just to the public that many passionate people under one roof yeah it's exciting you know talent and good food begets yeah. other talent and, and good food and uh it's it's going to be people that want to go in there and, you know, maybe have a bite at Tempesta Market, have a bite at Piggy Smalls, have have a slice at uh, Pizzeria di Gregorio, as, as it will be called. 
um, or some formulation of Di Gregorio, right? Um, and uh, and so I'm excited to be part of that food culture, yeah, in a big way. Um, and w- so did he approach you? Is that how that? You know, it it was a chance. It was a chance encounter. Actually, um, I have somebody in my life who's is close enough to me to where I refer to him as an uncle, Marie mm-hmm. Civic. Marie Civic, um, for many years now, has been a uh, events chef and uh, private dining chef at the United Center, um, and has always been a fan and friend of Jimmy Banos Sr. He had been going to uh, Heaven on 7th since the early days. And uh, shout out to Jimmy Banos Sr. Congratulations on 40 years of being open. It's a huge landmark uh, that most people never see. And uh, it's something that he got to celebrate this past week. So congratulations on that. But uh, like I was saying, Maurice had had been a fan of uh him for years mm. and so when we knew uh well street market was opening we always try and get together as as much as our schedules will allow for lunch and he took me out to well street to check out the different stalls within it and of course jimmy banos jr was in there with well street uh, i'm sorry with uh piggy smalls mm-hmm. and uh he was there kind of, you know, touching the tables and, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. And uh, he came up to ours and um, obviously we had the connection through Maurice and he introduced him to me and he said, hey, this is the GM at uh, Dobro's, yeah. Professor Pizza, does consulting, so on and so forth in the pizza industry. This was pre-World Pizza Champions, okay. but I was still up to a little bit here and there yeah, in the yeah. pizza world. And uh, Jimmy was excited to hear that and just said, you know, it's interesting. I've always wanted to get into a pizza concept and I'd like to sooner rather than later. We should get together and talk about it. And, you know, uh, a lot of time passed and and we finally settled on a location. We were, we were looking everywhere from Park Ridge to Lincoln wow. Square to Logan Square, yeah. River North, so on and so forth. And, um, you know, an opportunity came to be. Uh, that I won't speak too much about yet, but that allowed for some extra room in uh, Well Street Market, and uh, you know it, it seemed like the perfect fit for us. And, and but you weren't rushing. I hope things it will be. You can't rush these things. No. Um, it it all takes time, and um, I think when you do try and rush them, it it shows in the end product, or or at least um, in in how the business matures over time. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 taken its time, and in that time, I, I've done a lot of things that I was, you know, very proud You're of. Still honing your craft. I'm very yeah. proud of yeah. at Dobro's and elsewhere. I had the chance to consult and uh, help a friend open up a pizzeria in uh, Denver, Colorado. Mm. Uh, so that was really exciting. I don't know if you've ever eaten that Bud Long hot chicken. Yeah. Um, but Jared Leonard, the owner, uh, has since he still has a handful of Bud Longs here, and it opened up opening up more as time goes on but uh his primary residence now is in denver and now he's got concepts out there from barbecue to nashville hot chicken and uh pizza and we open grabowski's pizza and it is a chicago cracker thin style pizzeria Mm. to the t shout out south side (laughs) and uh yes shout out south side is right it's it's definitely based off of you know, Vito and Nick's and, yeah. 
and pads and fills and and uh, Marie's Beats and Liquor and and all these sort of classic Chicago Crackerton spots that uh, it attempts to pay homage to, and I think it's doing a a pretty fantastic job of that. Yeah. Um, can you take us back to a time before pizza? <laughs> yeah. So, how did you know you wanted to get into the food and beverage industry? What led you towards that? You know, I. I never thought I would get into it, originally speaking, um, but it seems so obvious that I did in yeah. retrospect because my entire family has been involved in it in one capacity or, um, capacity or another. Um, you know, we I shouldn't say we. I wasn't even born, but uh, my my family has had catering operations. They've had restaurants um, at one time in in Round Lake, which is out in the sticks of the northwest suburbs, um, had four different concepts at the same time on the Uh, same block, right? From pizzerias to little snack shop corner stores, sit-down restaurants, so on and so forth. So it's always been in my blood, and, you know, I got to give a lot of credit to my, my uncle, my Uncle Fred, uh, who's been based in Wisconsin for many years with a Chicago-style hot dog stand out there. And um, for many years, along with that hot dog stand, he ran a smaller operation uh, by the beach in Lake Geneva. And whenever my mom, my dad would take me up there to go to the beach, uh, before we actually walked down the steps down to the beach, I would usually... Uh, end up getting lost in the hot dog stand and never really go to the beach and just Wait. fill up sodas and hand people their hot dogs and it was it was a thrill for me and just uh, what like what was it just it, it's you know it was a little american legion stand what, but what was it about being at that you know that okay. stand? yeah i don't know the I, process i was insane you know? what was it i mean it was it was so hot in there <laughs> I, I was tri- tripping sweat um you know it it violated every child labor law in the book uh but uh i don't know it was just it was fun for me to be a part of that action um i guess i guess it was like you know when you're a kid and you have a lemonade stand at the corner it was that, but to the extreme. Now you're selling people chips and hot dogs and, you know, frozen custard. And we've got fresh squeezed lemonade outside and sometimes even kettle corn being made. So, like, there's all these different facets of the food and beverage industry that I was being exposed to at a very young age that, I, you know, I, I guess it was just in my blood to, you, to be attracted to it. Were you keen on other people's reactions to the products and services that you're providing? Like you, you put labor into making some of this stuff and seeing other people. I don't know that I had actualized those emotions at the time. Yeah, We're just trying to break it down now. But yeah, but I think that's true. You know, I mean, it's funny. I, um, I was starving before I got here. Okay. So I went to Carms. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay. Because whether it's, um, Fontano's or Carms or even Al's Beef, this original one, or, um, you know, certainly in the summer, Mario's Ice. Like, I love all these spots, but I don't live in this neighborhood. And, you know, I used to live downtown and have friends. You know, I went to Columbia College for a while, and I had friends that went to UIC. So whenever I hung out with them, 
we'd go to all these old they haunts. They knew these spots, huh? Yeah, of course. Good for them. Yeah, exposed me. Well, I had a friend that lived on Flournoy, so you couldn't exactly. Not. But you'd be surprised at how many UIC students. Oh, I bet. Don't. And it's it's just a shame, you know, and because like, I'm just gonna go to Subway. With that, you know, comes these places going extinct and closing, and yeah. um, you know, this was Little Italy, and I'm all about the diversity, but I, I wish we still had those strong ethnic neighborhoods. Uh, mm-hmm. Of any variety, and I can't say we have the strongest ones in Chicago, honestly. But, um, anyways, I had there, uh, I had a hot dog there, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I probably only have just six one because they hot- usually have the two two hot dogs. <laughs> you, you know, I could go, I could go crazy, dude. I could go crazy, but you know, <laughs> with my young age, uh. Uh, that has gone out the yeah, door. Yeah. So has my metabolism. <laughs> so you know, it all sticks to me these days. But uh, so I had one hot dog and fries, and I ate every last damn fry. Um, but um, my point being is, yeah. well, they do a great job. You know, it, it's like um, you know your mother's cooking, or in this case, my uncle's hot dog. No one's gonna beat my uncle's hot dog. You know, and it's so funny to me. Because this is a dish that's based on pretty much entirely sourced ingredients. You you buy the bun, you buy the relish, you buy the mustard, you buy the hot dog, you know, so on and so forth. But like anything that's great, the devil's in the details. Oh. And there are little things that I won't necessarily mention that my uncle does just differently, just so make his hot dog what it is and so while i really enjoyed this one from carms and it won't be the last one i have from there it's not my uncle's hot dog interesting yeah you know you're right yeah and that's my long format way of saying you know what was it like when people getting this food for me or what was my emotional attachment to it i knew we were giving them the best hot dog they were gonna get you know and especially when you're doing it even 40 minutes, I guess an hour or so outside of the city of Chicago and Wisconsin, you already have people saying, oh, you can never get this around here, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So I knew not only did did we give people that option, but but we did it right to a T, you know, and I learned how to make that right to a T from him. And I'm sure, you know, just the, the general ethos of, of giving a shit yeah, you know, came came from people like my uncle, my father, my mother, my great grandmother, my aunts. Um, you know, it's and, yeah. it's a family full of people that really and whatever you do care about the details. You know, I never, I wasn't lucky enough to meet my great grandfather, um, but apparently he was famous for being somewhat of a curmudgeon and saying that everybody was a mediocre. And that was his name for them. And, you know, I life is short, too short to be a mediocre. So, yeah. you know, if you're going to make pizza, but, be a world pizza but you champion, can't, and you, can, you can't force someone out. <laughs> I agree. But you can't force mediocrity out of someone. You can't want it no. more than what they want it for themselves. No, you can't. Right? No, you can't. But you can lead by example, right? Yeah. And uh, I think that's what they did is... You know, there's a lot of poking and prodding, but mostly just leading by example because the okay. poking and prodding never does it. No. You know. Yeah. Sometimes it'll push them the other way. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. So. I'm um, sure you're probably experiencing that now as a father. Yeah, exactly. You know, I've I've got a seven-year-old daughter. I've got a one-year-old son. And, I mean, 
seven-year-old daughter's been pushing back for at least five, six years now. <laughs> you know, she's she's definitely her own person. Um, so, you know, you try and lead them the best you can. Yeah. But you're so grateful they have their own personalities and yeah. interests as well. Right. You know. All we can do to do is provide the resources and yeah. let, let them be. And whatever her mother and I and the rest of our supporting family have been able to provide her with has got her quantum leaps beyond where I was at that For age. Sure. So I couldn't be prouder of both my kiddos. Um, and so how what, what was the next step after the hot dog stand, after helping out with that? Um, well, I like at that point, it was just a fun thing for me to do. Right. Cause you went to, you said Columbia. So yeah, I, yeah. I went to, I went to Columbia for music business and you know, such as the tradition with Columbia students, I didn't graduate from there, <laughs> but I, uh, I went for music business uh, at that. Well, before to back up a little bit before getting to college and everything along with food business and making money not not to be greedy or anything but just you know the responsibility behind making money was kind of a tradition that I grew up with and so as soon as I got beyond you know shoveling driveways and things like that I started a DJ oh cool and that really came to be because I had a neighbor in the cul-de-sac that we lived in who was having a backyard graduation party and I didn't have any DJ equipment. I, we were about the same age. I know we both probably grew up with those three piece stereo systems you'd see in the catalogs of circuit city and best buy. Yeah. And, you know, they had the five disc CD changer <laughs> that, you know, eventually would get slower and slower over time as you use it, as it <laughs> opened and closed. And that's all I had like a, a two three hundred dollar Panasonic uh, or Philips Philips uh, stereo system, and so I brought over that and a book of CDs, and I brought it all in a wed in a wed wag. <laughs> oh, nice a flyer! <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, flyer Fisher Price, whatever it was, um, and plugged it in and started playing CDs and. I don't know what he gave me at the end of that party, but it was enough for me to realize, hey, people give me money for this. Yeah. And I did a few of them and bought some equipment and did a few more and bought some better equipment and some more equipment. It's kind of like we were talking about before this podcast started. And um, it blossomed into a mobile DJ business. Okay. And I, I love doing that. Um, I love DJing. How old were you at this point? Point, I had started. 14, I had started that when I was like twelve, thirteen yeah, years. That, yeah, before I was se seventh, eighth grade. Oh my god! Seventh, eighth grade. I was doing that, and I did a little into high school, and and then, you know, kind of lost focus honestly for a while, and um, knew I was into DJing, but also thought, you know what, I, I my hero, one of my heroes at the time, or two of my heroes at the time. Clive Davis, um, I'll give you three. Clive Davis, Richard Branson, um, Russell Simmons, all these record exec producer yeah. types, super interested in for whatever reason. And I was like, I would love to do something like that one day. I would love like to. Building an empire or what? Like what? In my eyes, I had already thought that. But <laughs> specifically speaking, 
I was like, I'd love to be in, you know, the music business in okay. some capacity, you know, developing talent or producing or engineering or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And so, like I said, I went to school uh, at Columbia for music business. And, you know, it was an important thing for me to go through because I was realizing as I was going through that process, you know what, there are, there are hobbies, casual hobbies, and there are passions mm. and i think the defining difference is if you're passionate about something you're willing to put in the work and you're willing to do the things that are not necessarily fun for that ultimate reward i was not willing to do that for music, for, for music. i was like you know what i enjoy this let me be a spectator you know if somebody calls me to dj and i dj'd for a while after college here or there but it was more so Somebody calling me, hey, do you still do that? Uh. Yeah, I can help you. You know, like this summer, I've got one DJ gig. I don't. So you're still doing it. <laughs> I don't. You're still, still doing yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> here and there, because it's just like it's money and like it's fun and okay. like, you know, at this point, it's usually a family or a friend. So it's like, what are you gonna say no? Like, obviously, they're going to you to save somebody in the big, <laughs> in the first place because you don't really do this anymore. But I got to a point where I was like. 13 years old and somebody was giving me two grand to do their bat mitzvah oh nice and so it's just like okay this is this is pretty interesting huh. um and a, and a good way to understand the fun fundamentals of business um so all of that really came before pizza or food it or, did, yeah. or anything just yeah, yeah. And, and so i look at what i'm doing now and i'm like you know what i'm still in the hospitality industry oh yeah I'm still in the industry of trying to make people happy. Mm -hmm. it may not be because of the, you know, auditory sensual aspect of of sound or or music, but but now it's taste and food and experience. So, and so, yeah. at what point did you come to that realization? Was it in the middle of Columbia, or like what led you to not graduating? You know, <laughs> um, well, I I eventually left Columbia and moved out west to L.A. Oh, with a uh, head full of cannabis dreams. Okay, and I was gonna start a company with a friend of mine, Max Mora, uh, called the Marijuana, and this was a cannabis lifestyle brand that was set to be everything from a physical dispensary to a clothing line and um, events and food, and it was a fantastic idea. Yeah, but. I was too young and unfocused to really put in the due diligence necessary to turn that into a reality. And, you know, there was a lot of learning experiences that came along the way while living in L.A. And one day, in, in many vagaries, <laughs> I, was, uh, I was made to realize that this was not the path for me. Oh. And I had to move home. And and I had to call this industry quits, at least for a while. And um, like I said, I won't get into the specifics why, but allow your imaginations uh, to think of the variety of possible outcomes that That's could come from that. And so my father, who's involved in commercial real estate, uh, had a client at the time. And I'll, I'll, it's funny, I'll never forget when he gave me this phone call because... I was waking up after having slept over at my friend Ray's apartment on Flournoy. 
here in the UIC neighborhood. And he said, hey, I've got these clients that are opening up a wood-fired or Neapolitan or Neo-Neapolitan. I didn't even know necessarily all the terms at the time, but pizzeria and Waukegan. And, you know, you could be on the opening team of this pizzeria because even though I wasn't actively making pizza at the time, near the end of my stay in Los Angeles, we were trying to build out the suite of different options of things that we could do with this marijuana business. And like I said, we were talking about events and potentially like cannabis infused catering yeah. and started looking at mobile pizza ovens and, and equipment that we could actually carry this out with. And from that came some of the acute interest in pizza beyond just like anybody else that Interesting. likes pizza. Um, and so my father had become aware of that, and, you know, he saw this as a unique opportunity for his son to kind of start fresh and be, like, involved with something on the ground level. Like I said, this was in a restaurant that hadn't even opened yet. Um, and I worked in that restaurant for some time, and, and that led me to opening up uh, with with somebody else, a, a different one in Libertyville and so on and so forth. One job led to another. And eventually, you know, I got to the point where I realized there's only so much I can learn by going from restaurant to restaurant without first having a somewhat focused understanding of, of cooking. Cooking, okay. Right? And, you know, my father had already gone through the experience of sending me to Columbia and paying thousands of dollars for a music business education that didn't really amount to much. And so there I was saying, hey, Dad, send me to culinary school now. He was like, let me see you work in this business for one year. Yeah. And if after that one year you still want to go to culinary school – We'll do it. Sure. I was like, okay, I guess that's fair. I remember how the last one ended. So yeah. you got me there. And so at that point, I've been working for a while, but then realized, okay, I, I need a focused understanding of cooking. And I think I've proven myself here at this point uh, to where I can, you know, potentially do something a little bit more traditional in terms of like a culinary school format. And you know, we, we toured some and we toured Kendall and much like going to school for music business, it's all very expensive. And much like the music business, those making money straight out of college are a rarity. Yeah. You know, what they have straight out of college is a lot of debt, you know, and, and not many avenues towards paying that off and then and making a living from there. When I started off in this business, I was making $9 an hour. Um, so, you know, when you, when you don't even have a livable wage under your belt, looking at something like culinary schools, it's, it's kind of a dicey decision. So at that point, once again, through some work that my father had been doing, he, he had leased a, a space to what was, I believe, a former uh, florist shop, uh. flower shop. And flower shops, in many cases, have walk-in coolers, just like a restaurant would, for their flowers. 
Um, and since this space was no longer going to be that, he donated that uh, cooler to Inspiration Kitchens. And I don't know if you're familiar with Inspiration Kitchens or not, but they are... I guess you'd call it a branch of a larger organization, philanthropic organization based here in Chicago called Inspiration Corporation. And what that is, is it's a it's an institution or organization that was originally started by a former um, uh, police officer here in Chicago. And it's a it's a matter of community outreach. You know, they have job services, they have housing services, they have all different varieties of services for people that need a leg up and and need to get back on their feet in some capacity or another, right? Oh. And one of these is Inspiration Kitchens. And uh this is this is a spot that exists in uh, the Garfield Park neighborhood of the city, uh, stones throw away from the conservatory. Okay, and it's a southern kind of soul food style restaurant that is open to the public, but the cooks are the students. Oh. right, and so it was an, it was a unique opportunity to be in a quasi culinary school opportunity, quasi life skills school um you know they helped you with your resumes they helped you get into staging which for those that don't know what staging is it's just uh giving your time for free to a restaurant for a day for experience two shifts a week whatever the case may be for experience in many cases and maybe that's all you're looking for out of it yeah in many cases you're looking to get a job right right um and that opened that whole door up for me and it gave me an opportunity to be in that school setting while still making food for real paying customers. Huh. Um, so it was, uh, it was definitely eye opening, and it was definitely at that point in my culinary career the, the biggest jump start I could have had going yeah. forward. Yeah. Are they, they're still around today? They're still around today. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And so you're next, you, you walk through the door and. Did that? Did you land a job at another in a, in a kitchen then? In an official? I, kitchen? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Started working at Ocheval. Oh. After and so there's a lot of non-Chicago listeners. Oh, okay. For, yeah. So excellent. Yeah. So Ocheval is. Kind I've never of, heard it like that either. Everyone says ah. Oh. Ah. Uh, oh. Is it? Oh, I, I don't know. Is it? Tomato, tomato. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. Maybe Brendan Sodakoff would tell you there's a specific way of saying sure. it. I think it probably is Ocheval. Um, I just want to get it right. That's all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I defer to you on that. I believe okay. it's probably Ashaval. Okay. Um, so, kind of the premier burger spot here in Chicago. Yeah. Um, you know, it's near the top, if not on the top of many lists. Right. Nowadays, there's a few contenders out there for for that title, but uh, it was definitely the first. Uh, Hoke cuisine burger that there was in the city, yeah. and uh, they're the they're the originators of that uh, standard, if you will. Right, right. So I was there for a while. Um, As, so you made the like you made everything, or you made? I was on the fry station, but oh. with the fry station came desserts, came salads. Oh. It's kind of like almost a garmoge station for that restaurant, but it was hot foods as well. Um, 
definitely the entry-level station you'd come into that restaurant and work at. Uh, shy of maybe prep only. Um, but I wanted, to, I wanted to get more line experience, line cook experience. Um, from there, I worked at Table Donkey and Stick in Logan Square. Okay. Uh, and that is an alpine cuisine-focused restaurant. So kind of that region of northern Italy and, and France and Germany where you see a, a lot of different preservation techniques happening, whether it's smoking or fermenting or sourdough breads or pickling, charcuterie, huge focus on charcuterie. Um, and that exposed me to some of the more refined plates that I ever did in a professional kitchen. So at what point did you feel ready to, did you leave Oshawa when you left for the, when you went to the other place? I'll be honest with you. I was so green walking into Oshawa. I didn't last long there. So they said goodbye to me, you know, when I wasn't, when I wasn't uh, up to snuff. And I will say to this day, um, that's probably one of the hardest lines to work in, yeah. in the city of Chicago. Cheval, uh, Little Goat right there as well are oh. are both just like insanely, insanely busy lines and to so work. What, how f- did you have to, did you, b- how fast did you bounce back? You know, it's like, isn't it, what did that, like, you know, I, gut check to you? Um, if, if you're at, trying to- at that point, at that point, I already had my daughter. So, uh, you know, when you have a kid, there's not like, there's not too much time to lick your wounds, you know, like you have to provide. Um, and even though none of these jobs were making me that much money at the time, you know, sitting back and doing nothing was not an option. So you're back to staging, you know, and I will say anybody who really wants to work in this industry, that's willing to stage for a position should be getting hired somewhere within seven to 14 days of attempting to get a job. So I knew I could get a job somewhere else, you know. Um, it was disheartening. It hurt, you know. You you definitely question yourself. Right, Can right. I do this? Am I made for this? Am I cut from, you know, the right cloth, so on and so forth. Um, but... It wasn't it wasn't the right spot for me to learn that early on, mm, you know. Okay. And and that's that's a pill that I had to swallow, for sure. Um, I I was nurtured way more as a cook by Scott Manley at uh, Table Donkey and Stick, and I would say, to this day, he is of any place that I've worked, you know, because I went away to California to San Francisco to actually study pizza with Tony Gemignani and. Yeah whatnot but uh anybody i actually worked for there was not a better teacher than scott manley uh interesting and and and, and really the other cooks in that kitchen it was such a small it, kitchen it, if you've ever been to that restaurant it's I that have. entire kitchen smaller than the room we're in right now but it seems it seems like there was this, a steeper learning curve there but maybe the yeah there was and it's interesting you know we're doing way more refined involved things at table donkey and sick than the cheeseburgers and french fries coming out of the pass at ocheval yeah but you know i guess ocheval was more of a you know kind of factory line setting like just boom 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 push it out um they had standards and high ones but it's a more finite menu right um and 
on that level, like, yeah. what's the turnover rate then? Oh, at Ocheval? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people last longer than I. I did, you know, because they're they're coming in there a little bit more seasoned than I was, but I would say the turn turnover rate in general in the restaurant business is probably less than a year in in most respects for yeah. most cooks. They're on to the next. You just scenario. hear certain things of like you go to a and certain, that's for a variety of reasons. But continue. yeah, you, you I you know you go to certain burger spots and you're like, oh, they you know worked at Ocheval Ocheval and. Make you know, like you hear, like they're that, Ocheval alum at that point, right? And so, like, it's kind of like the gold standard yeah, at yeah. that point, and it's like it makes that, and it, it it's kind of true. Like their burger, like I'm thinking of uh, more brewing it's in delicious. Villa Park, and like it's one of the great, great greatest burgers I've had. And somebody came from Ocheval that started correct, that. Gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. Like they take a skill set once you have it, you can kind of go make a name for yourself. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, it's it's you know it's it's hard to stick around places for a variety of reasons sometimes it's the hours sometimes it's the pay sometimes it's the level of uh respect or nurturing that they have for the cook um a lot of times it's a combination of those things and you know i think a lot of cooks would stick around at a restaurant longer if they were taken care of better and that's a whole that's that's an entirely different podcast to have yeah. at a certain point you know there's a lot of reasons that cooks are treated or paid the way they are yeah. and there's a lot of things that need to be reformed to to ultimately reform that for sure but uh but yeah the turnover rate is high in this industry at, at large for sure and then you spent some time at pu- publican publican quality meats yeah yeah uh also as a line cook but that was a pretty great time to be there because that was prior to them opening up public and quality bread Mm. so they were making bread but they were they were that that was a kitchen at the time where you had line cooks down there you had butchers down there butchering whole animals you know watching them watching you know five six guys literally take half a cow down the stairs through the restaurant space into the to the basement kitchen and you know hook it onto uh, a chain that uh rotated throughout the walk-in uh it was an insane thing to to watch even though i wasn't there as a butcher i i got to kind of take in that whole atmosphere of the butchers and the bakers uh now the bakers have their own um dedicated yeah. uh space Good. that is public and quality bread um but it was a space where i got to exhibit a lot of different things and at what point did you want to go back to pizza um like i want to segue into you working with tony well and laura yeah yeah, yeah. so actually it's a good time to bring it up because I had spent however many months at Public and Quality Meats. I thought I was leaving that place for what would become my own pizzeria concept. Already, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know what? I I was never afraid to put myself out there, you know, and still am not. And definitely wherever I am in life, I'm I'm here because I'm not afraid to put myself out there. Um. And I had some people that were 
you know, entertaining that idea with me. And for a variety of different reasons, it didn't work out. And at this point, it's like, oh, geez, this thing that I left PQM for is not working out. And, uh, you know, even if they would take me back at PQM, I don't know that's what I want for myself. I was starting to get burnt out on the industry because even though I was doing all these things that I was interested in, I, I wouldn't say I'd found my true passion yet huh. or, or zeroed in on it yet. Yeah. And so it was at that point I was like, you know what? I'm a father. I got to start making some real money. I, I've got to stop bouncing around. Uh, let me try something different. Huh. And that's when my father said, you know what, why don't you get your um, real estate license and come hang out with me and see if you enjoy this. Because if you do, you know, there's an entirely different lifestyle available to you as a result of it. And while I was never chasing money, I knew that the chance of having a, a, a real living um and a real income was very much possible in the commercial real estate world because i'd seen my father do it over the years yeah you know and it was certainly a lot more obvious than making that happen for oneself in the restaurant business so you know i i surrendered myself to that and i tried it out for 10 months and i was exposed to a lot of different deals and a lot of different facets of the industry uh we did things like tenant rep, uh, which is when you represent a specific brand. Um, I, I, I helped my father find locations for Red Robin. Huh. Uh, they, for a time, had a concept called Red Robin Burger Works, which was supposed to be their effort towards getting restaurants in the city. Um you know, I, I helped partners of him find spots for Boar's Head Meat to, to come out with their own deli or cafe, if you will. Um, so it was an opportunity to do things that were adjacent to the restaurant yeah, business yeah. in many cases because my father had worked in the restaurant business for 30 years before he got into commercial real estate. So if ever I was going to get into commercial real estate, it was great that I had my father because he had this restaurant background and he was known in his industry as a guy that did a lot of restaurant work, Yeah, you know, uh, in terms of clients and, sure. and tenant rep and stuff like that. So, um, ultimately at the end of those 10 months, it became obvious to me that, well, I was very thankful for my time and exposure within that industry this was not the right home for me. You know, half the time when I should have been um, either scouting locations or studying for my real estate exam, my father would peek over his shoulder and see me looking at pizza ovens <laughs> or, you know, on YouTube watching demos of recipes or so on and so forth. And at a certain point, it's just like... It's kind of obvious. Yeah, it's... Yeah cool i'm glad you're into it but it's not what i'm paying you to do oh. you know yeah. I mean, he was my, he was my employer yeah. at that time you know and i had this u unique grace as having my father as an employer in that he was giving me a paycheck and many people in that industry don't get a paycheck 
they get a commission mm. off of the deals that they close. So people entering that industry, it's very hard. You almost have to have saved up a bunch of money to enter into that industry yeah. because at first you're not going to make any, you know, um, or you're going to make very little. And so he gave me a basic paycheck to, to live off of. And, you know, ultimately I wasn't, my, my heart wasn't in real estate yeah. and that was okay, but something had to come to pass and we had to realize, okay, we, we can't do this anymore, you know? And, uh, Yet at the same time, I knew I didn't want to go back into that grind of just being a line cook again. Right, right. Right? So I kind of started over from square one. And I started hanging out with my uncle again at his hot dog stand. <laughs> and I was just like, you know what? He's always complaining about help. You know, not having good help or not having enough help or whatever the case may be. Maybe I can hang out there for a while and take some stress off his shoulders for a while, hang out with him and have a good time. All while I'm trying to at least figure out my next move. Yeah. And then, you know, a friend of mine who has a pizzeria in uh, Rogers Park called JB Alberto's, which has been around for over 50 years now, was having a 50th anniversary party. And... I didn't even really know him yet, but I had been watching all these videos of Tony Gemignani, and uh, I had always fantasized from the point of hearing about him for the first time way back at that spot in uh, Waukegan. Yeah. Uh, that pizza, that Tony. Wakari pizzeria in uh, Waukegan. I'd started hearing about Tony. Okay. Right? And I had never met him, but he had you know, uh, a whole host of videos of him online, whether it was tossing pizza or doing recipes or uh, doing tours throughout his restaurants. And I became aware of the fact that this guy was and is the goat of this industry, you know. He's he's really the greatest to ever do it. And um, to really do it on an independent scale. Yeah. Uh, and to do it on a competitive scale as well. He's a 13-time world champion. Right. No one else can say that. Yeah. Right? So I was hanging out at my uncle's hot dog stand, and, and finally I called my dad up one day, and I was like, look, I know what the next phase is going to be, but I need your help. I've always wanted to go to this school in San Francisco that this guy Tony Gemignani has. I just met him at the 50th anniversary uh, for the first time of J.B. Alberto's. And that was cool because we went into the back kitchen of J.B. Alberto's and all these other pizza guys were there, including the owner, Tony Triano. A lot of Tonys in this industry. <laughs> we don't get too creative with the names. <laughs> Save that for the toppings. But uh, Triano was inducted by Gemignani into the World Pizza Champions that day in his kitchen amongst wow. all his workers and everything else like that. And it, it was emotional. It was very cool to see. It was like, I want to do that one day. Cool. I want to do that one day. And, uh, I, like I said, it was the first time I met Gemignani. He's like, when are you coming out to the school? Cause at that point I had been texting him. Well, it started with 
it started with just Facebook, you know, and I'd Facebook him questions I had, and this was still what I... But he was responsive. He was responsive. He's the best Were you expecting anything like that? No. Okay. Totally taken aback. (laughs) To this day, dude's a giver. But anyways, um, I'd be asking him these questions on Facebook in the bathroom of my father's real estate (laughs) office. And one day he's just like, dude, you got a lot of questions for me. Here's my cell phone number. You know, just call me tomorrow. And I was just like, oh my God. Tony Jumping Guy just gave me a cell phone. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, if you're not a pizza guy, you really may not know who this guy is. But in this world, yeah. It's Michael Jordan. He's oh, LeBron. No. He's he's Kobe, yeah. R.I.P. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, and so next day I called him. I was at home. And. <laughs> I've since told him this story. Um, you know, I, I'm lucky to call him a friend, dear friend these days. But um, first time I ever got on a phone call with him, I put him on hold for a second. So I was like, excuse me, Tony, one second. I just started like hyperventilating, dude. <laughs> it was like, I, I was so starstruck. I was just like, it's so laughable because once again, if you're not in this industry, it's like that's awesome. Who's Tony Jones? Yeah, yeah <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah, right. But for me, it didn't get any better, right? And it still doesn't, dude. Um, but uh, we started talking more and more, and eventually, I got that chance to meet him in person. And that's when he said in person, "Hey, when are you coming out to San Francisco? When are you coming out to the school?" Was he the one that told you to to show up at JB's or like how did you uh, know that? He was he was promoting it online. Oh, uh, okay, okay. And at that point, I had his number, and there was this huge line of people outside. They had a DJ outside. They were giving away free slices. Yeah. All the people in the neighborhood they knew about the free slices. They didn't they no. didn't know who Tony Gemignani is. Oh, okay. So, you know, with with the hoopla, if you will, of there being a DJ and free food and a huge line, you know, it it created it created a crowd of people right and so i text tony and i'm like i'm in line i i hopefully i'll get to see you he's like forget the line just go up to the front and then go to this door and uh he got me in there and i was hanging out behind the table as he was signing his book pizza bible which i'd recommend to anybody who's trying to make pizza at home or even professionally um and like I said, he's like, when are, you, when are you coming out to San Francisco? You know, I think the time is right for you. You're asking all the right questions. You're definitely interested. You're definitely passionate. You know, I'd love to help take you to that next level. Wow. And, you know, yet these things cost some money. And I, once again, needed to lean on my father. And As I, much as culinary school, though? No, no. Okay. Well, but it's yeah. several thousand dollars for a couple days. You know, yeah. So, you know, it's a commitment. It's still a commitment. Plus the cost of travel and everything that comes along with that. Looking back, though, worth it. Uh, one of the one of the greatest deals out there. You know, looking back on it, you know, could be charging three times as much, in my opinion. But, uh, like, as a consultant, are people looking for that like education? You know, I think people come to consultancy and in different ways and and avenues in life. Uh, I didn't go into that thinking that I would become become a consultant. Um, 
I didn't think I'd become a consultant until, and then we bring, we keep on bringing up my father until my father was working with a client who had a bakery that he was in the process of selling that was in or around the neighborhood that I grew up. And, you know, apparently this guy was still trying to either improve the facilities before he sold it or potentially do something extra to get a little bit more life out of the place before he sold it. And and that something extra was pizza, apparently, for this gentleman because he had biked throughout Europe and Italy and tried this pizza in Italy and had all these romantic feelings about it and wanted to bring it back to his bakery in some capacity or another, but that wasn't his forte. That was not yeah. his focus. So uh, my father's like, hey, maybe this is a consulting opportunity for you. Oh. And uh, I spent a couple months there, not making a lot of money at all, you know, but you know, kind of uh, cutting my teeth at what it would mean to eventually become a consultant yeah. in the pizza world. Um, and so that's how that came to be. But but I, uh, sorry, yeah, to, to go back to school, how was that whole process, the, the couple of days, well, the so, few days? Yeah, so, so I said to my dad, I was like, look, you know, you said to me a couple of years ago, if I spent a year in this industry and I wanted to take on higher education, that you'd help me out with this. I was like, look, this isn't a full, you know, two-year, three-year culinary experience, but it's going to cost me a couple thousand dollars you know I don't have right now. You know, will you support me in this? And he's like, look, you better take this seriously, but let's go for it. You've been talking about this for a long time now, so let's do it. And I mean, it's just one of the you know best gifts my parents could have given me because it's 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 changed my life for yeah. sure. Um, that time I spent out there with uh, Tony and Laura and Tiago and and Matt. These are all world pizza champions. Um, all dear friends to this day. Uh, I spent that time out there with Tony, and it was a five day program. But I'd booked. I booked a flight and hotel for two and a half weeks to be out there because I knew that if I was going to be out there, it wasn't just going to be for a five-day program. After that, what was I going to do? I was going to stash for him. I say, I'm out here now, dude. Now are you going to take free labor from me? You know, you had and, that foresight, huh? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and I stashed for him, and I stashed it. Two other restaurants I while a, I was out really there good as well. Indicator that your yeah. heart's in it, you know. It was, and and he saw that in me, yeah. and you know he definitely did things for me that he didn't necessarily do for everybody else. You know, uh, we planned trips where we drove several hours to different parts of California to see different stores of his, stores that were doing well, stores that weren't doing well. Why are these ones doing well? Why isn't this one doing well? You know. Um, what's beyond his control in this because of this sort of deal and there's a casino and a hotel and you know all these real estate things that came to be or didn't come to be and you know all this kind of insider information that i would never have right. gotten in five days of you know being in his kitchens learning about pizza at this point he was telling me about the business he was telling me about life you know it's so cool that there's no value on that there's, it's there's invaluable. yeah though. exactly there's no value on that it's invaluable and from that he's like look I can get you into Pizza Expo for free. All you got to do is help me with my demos. 
you know, and, you know, you definitely should be out there. And it was happening a couple months after I was uh, finishing up my time in San Francisco. And, I mean, anybody who's in pizza, I would certainly recommend them going to Pizza Expo at least once. I think once you go at least once, you're going to find that you go every year. Um, and then from there, you know, there's different ones like the Caputo Cup and, mm-hmm. you know, which is the competition end of can a you, conference on the East Coast. Can you break down uh, what Pizza Expo entails, like different segments of it? Yeah. Um, so there's demos and classes. There are um, talks about every different facet of the industry from customer acquisition to delivery to um, working with different purveyors and getting the best quality for the best price. There are equipment uh, manufacturers spread all around, you know, with ovens and demos happening um, at all these different booths. Uh, there's the competition end of it, which is the World Pizza Games, and that's everything from how fast can you build these pizza boxes <laughs> uh, to how large can you stretch this pizza dough before forming a tear to the acrobatics of doing you know, different Tony routines. Doing it. I was like, I was I'll tell you, the Koreans are some of the best really? in the world, oh, okay. dude. <laughs> uh, just like rolling it down his shoulders like oh yeah that's it, insane. it's it's insane and then of course there's the cooking competitions and 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 that's what i've always competed in um and it, it's it, while all that's going on it's also just like a big family reunion for everybody in the industry um you know barbecue guys pizza guys i, I found are like a really tight-knit community yeah and if you if you know one, you know them all usually, um, and that's an opportunity to see those people that you don't see but once or twice a year. Yeah, um, and and all brought together under the common love of, of pizza and what we do. Yeah, so it's interesting how yeah. restaurant tours and chefs are becoming kind of like celebrities in a way they're, they're making a name for i think themselves. it's fantastic yeah. uh, you know i mean obviously there's the danger of people getting into it thinking that that's just gonna happen to yeah. them and you know look I'm, I'm talking to you on this podcast because i hope one day i'll be able to do something in my industry beyond cook on a line right um but i i, I think it's fantastic because it shines light on people that don't often get to be seen or heard for their craft, you know? Um, And I think that's really important. Um, And events like Pizza Expo show you that that's happening more and more. And if I was ever going to be exposed to that world, there was not a better person to be walking the aisles of Pizza Expo with than than Tony Gemignani. You know, it's kind of crazy because... You know, um, many years when I'd walk the aisles with him, you walk a couple steps. And he gets stopped. <laughs> can I get a picture? Can I, you know? And it's, that's how it should be. He's put in the time. Yeah. You know, but it's uh, it's cool. And, and and he has time for all of them. He gives them his personal email. 
He'll reach out to them. You know, if it's someone that he's really put some time in with and they're opening up a new pizzeria in Louisville, Kentucky, he'll hop a flight and be there for your opening, you know, uh, as I expect him to be there for my opening at Well Street Market (laughs) in a couple months. Uh, he's, He's incredible. He's incredible. He's the real deal. And a lot of people in that industry that are really at the height of it are are that way. You know, you get a couple jerks here or there. But, you know, it was one of the things that drove me back to pizza after spending that time in fine dining. Fine dining is a lot more or even just refined food like Al Cheval does and, and places like that. Like, I hate to use the term cutthroat, but... It's more about getting the task done than it is about nurturing somebody's craft or nurturing a relationship with somebody. And that's kind of what drove me back to my Italian-American roots. And the best expression for that for me was pizza. And, And while I love making and eating pizza, I mean, the best thing that this industry has done for me is the relationships I've gotten out of it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so after um, the expo, yeah. Um, what were your next steps? Um, you came back home, right? And when your dad was like, how is it all? You know, like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at, at that point, you know, there's been so many different times in my life. I thought I was going to open up my own spot. I have a partner in this new spot. It's really the closest I've I've ever come to yeah. the actualization of that. Um but, you know, in those first one or two pizza expos, you think you're just gonna go home and somebody's gonna give you a pile of cash and you're gonna open up your pizzeria and it's it's not like that, but it, it focuses your efforts that much more. And so at that point I was like, Okay, I'm done with real estate. I need to still work within this industry. I'm not ready or the world hasn't decided I'm ready to open up my own spot yet. Let's at least start working in some pizzerias. Cool. You know? And so, uh, about a month after Italy opened, Oh yeah. I worked with Rosso Pomodoro, which is most stations in Italy are run by Italy. There's a few exceptions to that. One of which is the Neapolitan pizza section, which is contracted out to a company called Russell Pomodoro. Never, yeah. And they are obviously originally from Italy, but uh, have locations all throughout Europe, uh-huh. uh, Asia, uh, I believe South America, if I'm not mistaken. And so they're, I, I hate to say McDonald's, but they're kind of one of the big yeah. box chains of pizza napolitana the, right the, the, yeah yeah and i'm trying to think you know at that at that stage i'm leaving out some places i worked at but at that stage i had already worked in some neapolitan pizzerias um you know obviously i worked at uh fiamico's and uh waukegan there. okay it's no longer, but that oh. was the spot my father was saying, hey, these guys are opening. Oh. You can potentially be on this opening team. So that that was the first place I ever worked in just like just a pizzeria. Oh. And then there was a couple more of those. Got out of that, got into real estate, 
came came back after all of the exposure from Tony and the team in San Francisco, then started working back in pizzerias, right? Yeah. And so I was leveraging some of that previous knowledge from some of those places I had worked at to, you know, position myself better in the places that I would work in down the road. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I was there. I was um, at Formentos making handmade pasta because it wasn't enough to just understand pizza. I wanted to understand everything that had to do with regional Italian cuisine, Italian-American cuisine. Um, I like that. So, so that I could really position myself to to do it right when I had the chance to do it on my and, own. And not just one type of pizza as well. Yeah, variety. Yeah. Um, eventually, I went on to work at Poly G's. Poly G's is originally from Greenpoint, Brooklyn, but there's satellite locations throughout the country, one of which is uh, in Logan Square, and it's owned by my dear friend uh, Derek Tongue. And that's a neo-Neapolitan style of pizza. A neo-Neapolitan. Neo-New Age. Yeah. Um, builds upon Pizza Neapolitana. So same ovens. Uh, there, there could be a variation in the temperature. Some people go lower than classic Neapolitan temperatures, so which are around 900. Softer, floppier? Uh, so Neapolitan softer, floppier. Oh. Neo-Neapolitan tends to be uh, more rigid, more oh. crispy. Oh, okay. um, maybe a maybe a lower outer crust or an Italian. We call that cornicione. Oh, I, I love Italian. <laughs> uh, I only know a few food terms here or there. <laughs> uh, a couple bad words, right? But um, yeah, so it, they'll they'll go a little bit left from center in terms of what is sure. true pizza Neapolitana. Usually, they have a lot more play in terms of the creativity of the toppings. Uh, it's not necessarily stuff that's just classically the terroir of Naples or Campania, Italy. Um, but things like kimchi or loaded, or, no lo- or loaded baked potato uh, pizzas or we've done Italian beef pizzas. Derek has always made that place about creativity uh, still to this day. He's doing exciting been. stuff. Yeah. yeah, you'd love him. You'd love that spot. Um and so they were doing that as their core product. But then he had been R&Ding for the longest time at home, uh, Detroit-style pizza. And he was really the first to do it throughout the city. And we worked on that recipe together and the techniques behind that together to take it from something that was very successful and delicious out of his home kitchen, but made sense uh, from a pickup standpoint um, in a professional restaurant setting. And through my knowledge with Tony Gemignani and Laura and Tiago and that whole team, I was able to figure out what made sense uh, to execute this in, in his new restaurant. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super proud of what they're doing over there um, for my early on involvement in it and, and for all the stuff that they've done since I've been gone. And so that definitely boosted that, you know, if you were to have a resume like that, another like notch for under the pizza category. Yeah, helped because that place now I think is, Doing I'm going to say wildly successful, yeah. wildly successful, Derek. <laughs> and uh, and so it became this name that I, c- I could say, you yeah. know, I- I've worked there, yeah. you know, I, I hope. I helped Eric and the team develop this pizza. And, um, yeah. Or was it, and so 
are people getting word about how good this pizza is? And, and then maybe Derek, the kind of person he is, is like, oh, you know, Tony, help me out with this. Like, if you need help with pizza Derek's work. Derek's been super awesome about giving me credit. Like, um, word of mouth is, is always the pinnacle of how. Yeah. Um, you know, around the same time I was working with Derek came to be the whole professor pizza thing. Oh, okay. Um, DePaul. Yeah, so I met somebody when I was at Poly G's who uh, was just the con- – I think he was a concierge of the Four Seasons Hotel here in Chicago. We struck up a conversation to the point where we exchanged information, and one day he reached out to me via Facebook and said, I have this, this friend, uh, Tim French who is a uh, professor, a chemistry professor at DePaul University. But apparently he's got this um, freshman kind of intro to college homeroom class that he teaches as well. And he's looking for chefs. And I think he might be perfect for this. So reach out to Professor French. And, uh, you know, we get together, start to talk, since become a good friend as well. And uh, he's like, look, you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. You know, this is this is going to be the first class on the first day of college for these kids. <laughs> so you set the pace. I'm like, You're like, don't geez. do college. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what credential do I have? Who's allowing this? Um, I didn't even graduate from college. Exactly. Um, But, you know, I put together my little keynote presentation and, you know, uh, a variety of different video clips. And I I think I talked about, um, I've I've had the chance to do it a couple times for him, the culture of Chicago cuisine. Mm. I think that's what I do. <laughs> some years I've done it, some years I haven't, uh, just based on when he gets selected to teach that class. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I did that class, and at that point I had begun some sort of basic Instagram presence. And What was the reception from the class after you finished your keynote? They were, th- they were thrilled, you know, and it's funny because I've done it a couple of years and some classes are better than others. Well, yeah, most like 18 year olds coming into college, like they don't want, they don't, you know, they're not. Yeah, I think, you know what, they had to be in class. They had to be in this class. So as far as classes go, this guy's talking about pizza and Italian beefs and Polish sandwiches. Sure, yeah, like yeah. he's showing me clips from Vice Munchies and... <laughs> Um, showing me clips from Alinea right down the street from us. Uh, this is kind of engaging, mm. you know, as far as classes go. Uh, so the kids have always been pretty cool. great to me. Yeah. And so Instagram presence, you started. Yeah. So wasn't calling myself Professor Pizza yet. Um, but I think I was looking, I was trying to understand the whole world of hashtags at the time. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I like the alliteration of Professor Pizza. I'm just going to put that in there it as rolls, a yeah. hashtag. Like, what am I doing here? Obviously, I'm not a professor. Like, I guess I'm Professor Pizza, you know? Um, had a uncle of mine reach out to me after I posted that. 
And he's like, that's it. Professor Pizza, that's that's what you are. There's no such thing as Tony Scardino anymore. <laughs> you are Professor Pizza. I thought he was crazy, dude. I was like, dude, I appreciate it. I see where you're going with this. I'm just joking. You know, like I don't I don't want anyone to call me this. I don't want to be known it like I take myself so much more seriously than that. I'm gonna be a chef one day, you know, like um and he's like, what's it take seriously, dude? Like, it's pizza. It's supposed to be a little cheesy, right? Mm. And I was just like, you know what? I stopped fighting it. And I was like, you know how many people there are named Tony something with a vowel at the end of their name making pizza? <laughs> like, why does the world need another, you know? And it wasn't to discourage myself. It was just to say... How are you going to stand out? Yeah. Right? Because that's what matters is differentiating yourself and your craft. And so I said, you know what? There's only one Professor Pizza that I'm aware of. And uh, I stuck with it. And I don't know if it was shortly after or a year later or whatever the case may be. But after that, eventually came about the logo. Yeah. And I think with the logo, which is really, if you've not seen it, and usually I have the hat on, but um, I don't today. With the slice of pizza with the glasses. Yeah, and the yeah, stash. exactly. Yeah. It's it's my face yeah. in pizza form, right? <laughs> and so, I, I, people enjoyed that. They were able to identify with that. You know, somebody that's trying to be something uniquely their own, yet not take themselves too seriously. You know. Um, and the Professor Pizza name stuck, and I I started to embrace it hardcore. And and any any posts or you know social media outreach that I'm doing from that point on was all branded under the umbrella of Professor Pizza. Yeah. Um, and it's helped. I I don't think. I think even with the amount of passion that I had in my industry and that guys like Tony Gemignani saw, like, I don't think I would have gotten opportunities like being on the World Pizza Champions, for example, if not for it, because I became, on some level, a very humble level at this stage, a personality within that business. Mm. You know, I'd go, you know, when I go out there, in a month and change to Vegas for Pizza Expo. It'll be my fifth year going out mm. there. Half a decade of going out to Pizza Expo. It's a lot different going out there now than it is when I first went out there. And I'm always shocked and humbled by it. But now when I go out there, people are coming up to me and they're like, oh, you're Professor Pizza. I, w- I follow you online. You've got such an amazing you know, display case all the time. I love your videos, so on and so forth. And like... I'm just trying to be as cool as the other guys that I think are the coolest people in the industry, you know. So whenever somebody comes up to me and and gives me any sort of glory or attention for that, I'm I'm endlessly humbled by it. But it is cool to get that recognition from people in your industry that what you're doing, you know, people are at least paying attention it's to. Good work. Yeah. So. And you, but you and you had a good fun. example to draw from. Tony. The best. Yeah. The best. Yeah. Um, and so can you talk about how to, like how the 
pop-up stuff came came to be like things at emporium things at lyrical lemonade all that stuff yeah um you know it was it was a lot of me observing other people doing it Mm -hmm. you know while i was still in the fine dining world i i was briefly a part of a dinner series called um under the table Mm. and so that kind of exposed me. That was a multi-course kind of like fine dining experience. That exposed me to the pop-up world. So I had done them before. And I knew I was trying to build this name and this brand. And it wasn't even... I got to the point where I was like, you know what? I know I want to explore this world of pizza. I, I know I always want to do something with this. But I don't know that having my own pizzeria or my own restaurant is still the end goal. Mm. You know, it might be. I'm happy to do it. I'm super excited to be doing it with Jimmy uh, in the coming months. But there's so many things you can do in this world uh, and in this industry. And pop-ups are fun because there's just a pure opportunity for you to take your craft and without all the traditional constraints and limitations of a brick and mortar business, get it out there into the world and charge somebody some modicum of money for it. Yeah. You know, it's um, definitely non traditional. Like, typically, like, yeah. if, I, if I wasn't doing that, I would feel like I don't have enough clout to be called professor. You know, like, I, w- I would be chasing that traditional brick and mortar, but it's nice to see that you had that foresight to go a off the beaten path route and yeah it's just it's also like a break from the norm yeah you know when you're working in somebody else's restaurant all day long kind of executing their vision Mm. you're doing that you're executing their vision this is an opportunity to execute your vision right and emporium gave me that platform uh a, a dear friend of mine brian petrini who's an immensely talented photographer uh, we've been working on a book for some time now that really pays homage to the Midwestern pizza seed in a way that we feel it's 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 never really been paid the due attention yeah. to. Was it his shot that made it into the museum, the pizza mu- U.S. Pizza Museum? No, that's uh, that's it another was... good friend. That's uh, Kendall Burns, oh, who's the okay. who's the curator of that museum. Um, but yeah, Brian and I have been working on uh, a book for some time now and through, um, a contact of his, I was able to get into, uh, the summer smash festival this past summer, which is put on by lyrical lemonade and, and Cole Bennett. And, uh, the focus was on the VIP area yeah. for the artists right and for those that had vip passes and so i had uh, a booth set up back there that was all branded under professor pizza and i was doing new york new york style slices and uh it uh it was super exciting see, to be back this there. is where i think your prior experience with music has probably helped you as well I'm I'm I don't know if it's helped me or not, but like once I left that, it's probably helping me more than I realized. Maybe, but 
once I left that industry, I didn't really think I you would come back. Yeah, in any sort of capacity, right? But then here's this festival, and all of a sudden, I made pizza for Chance the Rapper. I made yeah. pizza for Lil Yachty. I made pizza for Cole Bennett. You know, arguably the biggest director in hip hop music videos today. Uh. And I was just like, you know what? This is a this is an untapped market. You know, um, at least for me, to to be involved with people that are obviously going to love pizza. But obviously embrace a personality, you know. I think when you stick to the food industry alone, food and beverage industry alone, it's kind of hard to be known as a personality or an arbiter of good taste in any one discipline, in my case, pizza. When you get out of your specific industry and, and, and you know, poke your toe into a different industry and say, Hey, if you're a rapper, if you're, uh, you know, uh, a music business exec or you're working on music videos or a comedian, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are comedians and that opened me up to making pizza for comedians as well. Like I've done for Nick Kroll and JB Smoove. Wow. Um, you might have an actual chance of being known as that guy that does that thing. Yeah. You know, because here they are in an industry where it's like anybody that sees Cole Bennett on the street or Chance the Rapper or Loyati or whatever the case may be, like they're so much more apt to handing them like, oh, check out my mixtape. Yeah. What do, they, to... what do they care? Right, First, right. They're doing their own thing. Right. They're trying to put themselves on at that point as well. They should. They've, you know, put forth all this hard work to get into their industry. Why are they going to help you get into yours? You know, when it's the exact same industry. But if you go up to Chance the Rapper and you say, I don't have a mixtape for you, but I do have a delicious, freshly baked slice of pepperoni with your name on it. I would just love if you take a, t a picture with me. It's going to, it's going to catch your attention a lot quicker. Um, huh. And, uh, you know, that's what I did. And, and when I gave Yachty his pizza, I made sure it looked like a yacht. It had cocktail <laughs> umbrellas on top of it, you know? It's the little touches, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Were you were you starstruck with any of these celebs? Or yeah, were you, for were sure. you more starstruck with Tony? Uh you know, it's all it's all very subjective and, and contextual. Differently so. Right. I think equally so. You know, Tony Tony had a lot more direct impact on like where my life was headed, yeah. you know? Liotti, Chance the Rapper, these guys weren't going to make such an impact on things for me that they were going to change the course of my life. And so you didn't have that expectation so that, like, I didn't please have, put me on? I didn't, well, yes and no. Oh, yes and no, okay. I mean, it, it was, you're playing a way longer game mm -hmm. with someone like, you know, a household name celebrity than you are with Tony Gemignani because Tony Gemignani, if I didn't mess that up, he was going to become a lifelong friend and resource for me and mentor toward, towards me throughout the course of my career. You know, whereas with any of these other traditional celebrities, it's about snapshot like opportunities to cash in on and either you're gonna 
you're you're gonna be there in that right moment for that opportunity or you're gonna miss it. So there's there's that level of nerves attached to it because you know you don't have as finite or you don't have as much time to foster an opportunity. It's like you're always working on their time, you know. Mm-hmm. And you could put everything together and put all this effort into it and go to the right place and so on and so forth, and it doesn't happen. Yeah. And it's happened to me a couple of times. Yeah. It's no big deal. It's just that's the day of playing the game. It's almost it's almost sales in many respects. Interesting. Um, sorry, I'm <laughs> going through this cold. No, you're uh, fine. And so do they um, – I mean, like, at, so you said yes and no to that, and, you know, it's the same – dynamic when i'm trying to get a guest on like sure i don't want to get a guest on just so i have their their name and their and the amount of influence that they have you know rightly like on the other side of the coin like that is part of it but i think yeah. i'm genuinely curious about their industry and the that's amount. not enough for you to do it's it. not enough it's a reason you do it as it it's, is a it's, reason it's a nice why perk. i did it but it's not the only thing you know it's like i watched your interviews and it's just like this would be a good conversation. Oh, okay. This guy's, ha- this guy's asking the right questions and doing enough due diligence on it, even though this is not his direct passion. He seems passionate about it in the moment, you yeah. know? And so it's like, I saw that in you. Uh, you know, so I appreciate this opportunity. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's different. It's, it's uh, yeah, I just different don't, emotions don't, are I don't attached want to it. Because people can, can sense when you're salesy. Yeah. And it's it's in, it's not genuine. So yeah. why would they ever want to fuck with you then? You know, I I agree with you. I agree with you. And and I'll tell you, when you're on the come up, like I'm trying to be on the come up, it's it's a difficult balance between even if your intentions are genuine, having the perception also be that you're genuine as opposed to just that you're trying to ladder climb. And you know how we can tell is you've stated that after working with several of these people, you still hold them near and dear to your heart. Yeah, 100%. That's the key. 100%. It's not transactional, and it's you've cultivated a relationship. Well, and also, like, it goes along the lines of, like, anyone out there that's successful at anything, anyone that's telling you that they got there alone, you know, that's where you got to stop right there because they're full of it, right? Mm. You know, everybody is where they are as a result of everything they've gone through and everybody attached to them and their life experiences. So, uh, you know, I wouldn't feel right if I didn't call out people like Derek or, you know, Tony or Laura or Tiago or my parents, yeah. my family, oh, you know, I mean, my friends, Yeah. you know. Um, and so where... Do you hope to take this? Because it's so we talked about sponsorships earlier, but it seems like there you like the teaching aspect of it. Like you can probably hold private pizza classes in people's homes. I've done some to, stuff right? in people's homes. And so where do you want besides like yeah. the up and coming restaurant opening up, but like is there anything else that you'd like to explore later on? Yeah. Um and I'm at a stage now where I'm like I'm I'm trying to be more organic about it because so many opportunities have come to me that I never thought exactly. would come to me. And I don't think I would have been able to get them if I was specifically trying to go for them. Oh. You know, I so I try and look at the larger picture things that I feel like are making me happy and feel, feel fulfilled. And I know the culture behind 
just creativity is very important to me. Yeah. The culture be t- behind the creativity of food, hospitality, uh, music, art, comedy, cannabis, what have you. I'm attached to all of that. And I want to continue to explore all of those different avenues throughout the, the course of my life. And whatever that looks like in terms of like a job, I'm open to it so long as it's checking those boxes. Yeah. You know, so I, I don't know what's up for me next. Um, I know we're about to do exciting things with this pizzeria in Wall Street. I know uh, I'm anything but done consulting. Ooh. I'm anything but done with pop-ups. Uh, I, I definitely have aspirations in terms of fashion and, and how that could relate to the food and beverage industry. Uh, I, I think there's a few brands out there that are kind of like for chefs by chefs mm-hmm. sort of thing in terms of fashion and, and what it really means to be comfortable and yet feel confident in the kitchen if you got to wear a uniform, yeah, you know, yeah, sort of thing. So there's a variety of different things you could see me Interesting. doing. Interesting, yeah. So with with creating a brand, um, it's I've been thinking about this recently. It's like, how do you when when you're trying to explain that brand to someone, how do you explain the different facets of the type of industries you're in without limiting yourself, without boxing yourself in? Can you, can you right? It's again. like by as soon as you state what type of industry you're in, you're almost boxing. It's yourself a limitation, in, right? Right. It's a yeah. Limitation. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, for example, I I used to think the end goal was opening up a pizzeria of my own, closer to that than I've ever been, and while I'm excited to take that, you know, on uh, head first or however you'd say it, I, I know that's not the end all be all, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's one expression of my worth, my talent and my passion, Mm -hmm. but that there's a lot of different ways to express my worth, my talent, my passion. I dig it. Yeah. So final question. Sure. How's your, how's your dad doing now? Like how, how's he, is he, is he, isn't it, is it just like the best feeling when your dad is like, I'm proud of you. Thank, thanks for, you know, you you did a great job. My dad is the hardest Hard, you can get me like emotional. My dad is the hardest worker yeah. I've ever known, um, and uh, he's he's a huge inspiration to me. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll never be able to surpass there's, him. There's and I'm always, not even trying. Like, no, you're not I'm even. just you know. But there, there's always going to be a small part of us yeah. that wants to make them proud. Yeah, for sure, he's proud. Yeah, yeah. My parents, my family, my friends—they're proud. Okay. I'm, I'm just trying to keep them proud. You know? <laughs> My kids do. Well, Professor Pizza, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, yeah. brother. It's a um, pleasure. We're looking forward to let us know when the uh, the restaurant does open. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll come through. Follow me on Instagram. Yeah. Professor Pizza. Slightly less active on Twitter. Just kind of getting started with that. But follow me on Instagram. I'll be sure to spam you with all the newest details of what's going on in my life. Yeah. Personally, professionally. Yeah. Have so, fun at the next expo. I will. Thank you. Um, and we look forward to just witnessing greatness. I appreciate it. Likewise, brother. Thank okay. you. Um, thank you guys for staying tuned. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Stay curious. Abba Aloha.